Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of John, chapter 8. We actually kind of finished the book last week, but before we go into chapter 9, we need to get the full uh, understanding of what's going on here, because sometimes we can miss a lot of the great treasures of God's Word by not really reviewing, and so I believe it's so important in the days that we live. Well, before we read, let's pray. Father, as we go to your Word... May your Holy Spirit speak to us. Give us that understanding that comes only from you. And again, God, thank you for this time and opportunity to study in Jesus' name. Amen. John records for us, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Oftentimes, when somebody receives Christ as Savior, the reason why we direct them to the book of John is for that very reason. The more you know someone the more you will trust someone. That's why we direct people to the book of John. If you do not know somebody, you do not trust somebody. So that's why the more and the better perception that we have of Christ, the more we're going to trust him. Now, Jesus has been speaking with the Pharisees. And in John eight fifty six. Jesus tells the Pharisees, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Now, uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, but to look at it again, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, saw it, and was glad. What does that mean? That Jesus was preexistent. Now, the reason why this is important is because the cults always have Two major things messed up. Who Jesus is and the eternity of hell and punishment. They always have those two coupled together. And so when Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Jesus is speaking of his eternal existence. And uh, people have said, well, no, it just says that he said, I am. Verse 59 says, and they took up stones to throw at him. Why? Because he claimed to be God. That was a capital offense according to Levitical law. And so therefore, Jesus claiming to be God was that which gave them the right in their minds to kill him. Now remember, as we read on in chapter 9 now, we're going to find all this was done on the Sabbath day. (laughs) What a wonderful day. Listen, after church today, we're going to go out and try killing people. You know, I mean, that kind of shows you how messed up these guys really were. Well, notice he says, Verse 1 of chapter 9. Now as Jesus passed by, so we left chapter 8 with so passed by. Now as Jesus passed by. And by the way, it says 
going through the midst of them so passed by. He disappeared into the crowd. And I like that about Jesus. It wasn't that he, get the long red-haired Irishman. It doesn't say that. Get the one with the halo. It doesn't say that. It says he went into the crowd. And while he was leaving them, as they were preparing to kill him, notice that Jesus never missed someone in need. Notice he says, as Jesus passed by, and he passed by because they picked up stones to stone him, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. Now, friends, again, most people that are running for their life aren't looking for details. They are trying to get out of Dodge. They are leaving. Notice verse 2. And his disciples ask him, saying, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, a whole lot of things going on here. So let's look at this. Saw a man blind from his birth. This was an inherited defect. The second question we find here, his disciples ask him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man's parents or this man? I don't know how many sins an unborn baby can commit, but the very nature of this question is kind of weird. You know, was he slugging his mom? I didn't like that pepperoni pizza. Wang! I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking to ask this question or if this was a rhetorical question based upon the things that Jesus said afterwards. But there was schools of thought that believed that people were in a pre-existent state. Thank God Jesus said neither, which erases the idea that we were living on some planet someplace else, waiting to be born on this earth as the Mormons believe in others. Now, if you're Mormon, I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm telling you what you believe. Because oftentimes people have a concept, as well as in Christianity, they don't know what they believe. This is the problem universally with the church today. I go to church, I believe what I believe because that's what he said. That's not a good answer. You believe what you believe because you are convinced of it. If you don't know how to defend yourself that Jesus Christ is God or that Jesus Christ was in a pre-existent state, unlike the Jehovah's Witnesses that say he was only in the mind of God before he was born. That is false teaching. Why? Because Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. It's improper English. It's improper Hebrew. It's improper Greek. You would say, before Abraham was, I was. Before Abraham was, I will be. But to say, before Abraham was, I am, brings the context in that Jesus is an ever-existing presence. He's in an ever-existing time. We don't know anything like that. Everything I know you know has a beginning and the end. Some things have a more of an ending date than others, whether it be a gallon of milk or our car sitting in the parking lot. We know they're coming to an end. That's why we have to maintenance them. That's why we have to buy tires for them. That's why we have to pitch it out past the due date. That's one of the things that we have. But the Bible tells us that God lives in all times present. This is why prophecy in the Bible is not hard for God. It isn't some mystic kind of, um, kind of uh, uh, 
Notre Dame kind of idea where when the moon is in the seventh rise and it goes by in a cloud, thus there will be the sun rising and the birds will fly from the, we- from the west. And you're going, wow, now that's some cool prophecy, man. What's that talking about? Well, we believe that the seven clouds are the, that representing of the, and they kind of mysticize everything. Jesus did not do that in prophecy. Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jesus said that. Jerusalem was under Roman control. Even the statement was ludicrous to many people. It was under Roman control. And interestingly enough, it did not come under Jewish control again, as Jesus said, until 1967. There's a lot of things that are going on in our generation that makes us different than any other time, I believe, since Jesus ascended to heaven. Something that happened this past week. Israel got together with their Sanhedrin and for the first time since 70 AD appointed a new high priest. I mean, friends, that's startling. That the nation of Israel, first of all, even exists. Jesus said it would. But the second thing that's so weird is that now there's a stirring in their heart to return back to God. Now, the Bible tells us there is a seven-year period of time God will deal with his nation of Israel. And I believe we're entering that period. It's also called the 70th week of Daniel, but many people know it as the tribulation period because the tribulation period is really God dealing with the world The 70th week of Daniel is God dealing with the nation of Israel. Same event, it's just that God judges the earth while he deals with Israel. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that on Wednesday night if you want to come. And we're going to talk about the festivals and how they were fulfilled, what we have to look forward to, some things. But as we read here, he tells us Jesus was in a preexistent condition. So prophecy is not hard for God. So... When he said he was the I am, that's why they picked up the stones to stone him. So they ask as Jesus is passing by, seeing this blind man, who's at fault here? Was it him or was it his parents? Look what Jesus says in verse 3. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God would be revealed in him. This verse is so important. Get it. You need to mark it in your Bible. It's marked in mine. See? I say, why is that? Well, a couple of things here let's look at. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. There are in bookstores, not ours, books on generational curses. You may have heard about them. Well, my parents did this, and so therefore I'm this way. I do not believe in generational curses. I do believe in learned behavior. In other words, if mommy and daddy were drunks, unless Jesus intervenes in that child's life, it's a good, probably a pretty good uh, uh, gamble that that child will in some way be involved in alcohol. If your mom and dad were drug dealers, there's a pretty good uh, thing that you could be involved in drugs in some way. So what we have is as we come to Christ, God lays an axe 
to the past. Now that's really important because, again, Jesus says here that it's not because of what he did or his parents did. Now, next question. Can sin cause issues in a person's life? And we all say, yes, amen. Why is that? Because we know that if you do go out and drink, you could end up with liver issues. If you go out and get involved in drugs, you can fry what left we have of our brains and we can cook them. So we don't want to do those things. So is it possible that sin can lead to infirmities? Yes, but not every time. And here the Bible says it was not because their parents sinned. Now, is birth defects from parents who got involved with drugs passed on to their children? Yes, not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. In other words, we hear about crack babies. They're born addicted the minute they come out of the mother's womb. And they have to wean them off and get them straightened out. And thank God, sometimes get them into a home where they won't be exposed to those things. So do we have that? Yes. But as far as spiritual generational curses, I don't believe in that. Because of what Jesus said here. Neither this man parents sinned or he, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, sometimes we like to read the Bible and say, well, you know, these are really nice stories and that was distant and a long time ago. But friends, really, if you look at it, this applies to us today. What is it in your life that is lacking? This man was blind. Maybe it's your ability to love or be loved. Maybe it's something that you feel that was missing in your life. Now remember, we all are creatures of need. That's why Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, he said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven, implies we are children. What do children need? Everything. (laughs) Okay. If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Friends, we need everything. We are creatures of need. I'm my own man, people will say. No, you're not. You're completely dependent upon someone else, even for your food. We can never go around saying, I'm the king of my universe, when we realize so many other issues affect us. So we can become delusional in thinking that I am a rock, I am an island, when in fact, in reality, we are so totally codependent upon other people for just our daily existence. Whether it's the farmers that raise your food, whether it's the guy that runs the gas station and makes sure you can put gas in your car, we cannot say, I'm my own island. We can't. So that ought to cause us all to think, who do I hang around with? In other words, if I'm codependent upon other people, which we are, Who do I need to be around that's influencing my life? Solomon says, evil company corrupts good manners. So we need to be around people that are going to encourage us. But one of the things we have to look at here as well is being that we are creatures of need, I need, you need something in your life today, right? 
Only maybe you know what it is. Maybe you wouldn't even tell anybody what that is in your life. It is so personal and so dear and so close to your heart, you feel you can't even really share what you need in a group of people or even with those that are closest to you. Why is that need in your life? Is it because you sinned or your parents sinned? Sometimes it's just life. Sometimes it's just life. Notice what Jesus says about this. Neither this man or his parents sin, but that the works of God would be revealed in him. Do you realize that the lack that we have in our life is the opportunity for a God in heaven who loves us to make manifest the answer to the need we have? I like that. I always looked at what I didn't have as a handicap. Well, I can't do this because, I can't do that because Jesus is saying, you don't have that in your life, so God can do something in your life. Wow. That changes everything. So no longer is something lacking in my life, that which would hold me back, but something that would cause me to be dependent upon the power of God. In other words, if I had everything I need, I don't need anything, I don't need God in my life, I could go willy-nilly riding on the road to hell because I didn't realize there was something lacking in my life. This question, notice, was not asked by the Pharisees, it was asked by his disciples. And Jesus said that the works of God would be revealed in him. I'd like to change that, that the works of God would be revealed in us. The works of God would be revealed in me. What I lack is the opportunity, the placement where God wants to deal in our life. So instead of whining and crying, I don't have this in my life, God. You didn't answer my prayers. God says, yes, I did. That's where I want to deal. Isn't that good? Now you change the way you look at the lack in our life. Well, God, I got a problem. What you going to do? And God does this thing. Now, you say, but Mike, you don't understand. <laughs> you don't understand the severity of my problem. Hey, it's easy for you to say. You don't understand the severity of my problem. Really? What was this man's problem? He was blind. That's pretty severe. And yet Jesus said that the glory of God or the works of God would be revealed in him, that would be revealed in me, would be revealed in you. Verse 4, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. Now these are dynamic verses. Remember, there are things that you can do today, you can't do tomorrow. Jesus very clearly says, I have to do what I have to do while I can do it. He was going to heal this man is what he was going to do. But remember, you are in a circumstance right now you may not always be in. Now, we remember in the Bible the parable of the unjust judge. Excuse me. Well, that's one of them. But the other one, what I'm thinking of is the, where Jesus gives a story and he calls his servant into account. And he says, what is this that you've been doing? You've been cheating me. You've been, you've been lying. So this man calls the creditors up. 
And he says, how much do you owe my master? Well, I owe him a million bucks. Quickly, come down here. I'll write you out a receipt for 500,000. Calls another guy. How much do you owe my master? I owe him 100 grand. Come down immediately. I'll write you a check for, uh, I'll write you an IOU for only 50,000. How much do you owe my master? Oh, I owe him $100. Come down. I'll cut it in half, 50. And so when the master called this wicked servant into accountability, he said, what's this you've done? You know what the Bible says? He commended him. I, 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 I remember the first time I read that, I blinked, and I go, I thought it said, and he condemned him. No, it says he commended him. That means he gave him thumbs up. And people go, is this a misprint in the Bible? How could Jesus give a story about a guy that went through, cut everybody's debt in half, and Jesus goes, commends him? You know what he did? Why? He used the position that he was in while he had it, knowing he was going to lose the position. He knew he was going to get fired. But what he did is he used his position to gain friends in the situation. Now, when he got kicked out of his job, where do you think he would go? Hey, remember the million dollars you owed my boss? You only owe 500000 now? Payback. He used his position while he had it. Friends, there are people listening today. There are principals in schools and there are uh, different places around the world and positions of authority. You may not be in tomorrow. A transistor or an IC chip could replace your job. Use your positions while you have it. The night is coming. No one can work. Do today what you can do today. You know, there's an old saying. Never do today what you can do tomorrow. There's another saying that says, never let it be said and I wouldn't do the least that could be done. Well, neither of those are good. Jesus saying, do what you can do today because you may not always be able to do it. Jesus in verse 5 says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now this, again, is coming off the festival of lights, and, uh, and, and again, where, and, and tabernacles where they would light the, the candles in the, in the, in the, in the treasury uh, after sundown. Everybody was rejoicing. And, and Jesus identifies himself with the light of the world. He says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. But Jesus ascended to heaven. Okay, we're in darkness. No, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your light shine. That's what we do. The less of me, the more Jesus is going to shine. I'm embarrassed sometimes when I see how much of me is in the way of Jesus wanting to shine through me. (laughs) You ever notice that? So instead of casting light, we cast shadows. That's a a bummer. And when he had said these things, he said goodbye and left. No, it doesn't say that. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. That's weird. I mean, that's just weird. I I mean, in in that culture of the day, first of all, spit was kind of looked down upon like it is today. Jesus spits in the dirt. That's one thing. But then he scrapes the spit in the dirt up, and then smears it in his face. You know, a lot of times we look at these miracles in the Bible and we go, Jesus is good. You've got to remember, they didn't know what Jesus was doing. 
I can just see the other disciples going, what is he doing? I can see the people in the crowd go, well, he'll never live down old mud in the eye, yeah. A couple of things we see in this. Let's look. We remember Jesus healed blind people. Did it often. And why is that? Because it says in Isaiah 35.5, as well as Psalms 146.8, one of the things the Messiah will do is open the eyes of the blind. So this is one of the common miracles that Jesus did, which nobody else can do. And even today in all of our technology, we still can't do. Thank you for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.